Jump with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 this morning. I want to just go right into the Word. We're going to have a potluck afterwards. And by the way, we want everybody to know you're welcome to stay. We're just going to have family time and fellowship. And we're just going to have a, a time where we begin to uh, we're just fellowship. We, we don't do this very often. We probably should. But we want to just have a time of fellowship and ministry and just come and have a good time. Amen? Amen. Well, I want everybody to stand to your feet for a minute. I want you, I, I, I'm going to have you do something the Lord impressed upon me to do. And everybody stand to your feet. Everybody stand to your feet. Okay, now I want you to look at your neighbor right next to you. Okay, look at your neighbor. Now I want you to do something that's out of the ordinary. I want you to exchange seats with them. Exchange seats with them. I know some of you are so Pastor Ray. Oh, you're just making us, breaking us out of our comfort zone. And uh, I, I want everybody, okay, now feel free to sit down. Now, I, I know that what I just did here was that I, I, want, I want everyone to repeat what I'm going to tell you. I have moved from there. Who here? Now, that's the title of my message. God wants to move us from there to here. Now, I'm not, of course, and you all know, I'm not speaking about moving just in your chairs. But one thing I've, I, I remember, I, I'm doing this because I had another preacher do this to us, and I, I left that service and I never forgot the message. But that wasn't his title. My title is moving... From there to here. And I'm not talking necessarily about geographic, but I'm talking about a move where God begins, where the Lord is quickening our hearts, where we begin to move out of unbelief into faith. Where we move out of poverty into a prosperity. Where we move from a place of powerlessness to where we are powerful people. Yes. I want you to say something. It, 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 this may even go cross-grain. It may even go cross to your character. But I want you to say this. I am powerful. powerful. Say it again. I am powerful. powerful. Now, do you know that that phrase is a dangerous phrase in the mind of every demon, in the mind of a devil, from a Christian who knows who he is and what he has in yes, Christ. Right. You are powerful. Yes. Not only are you powerful, but you have the wisdom of God. You have the mind of Christ. Yeah. You have resurrection powerful. Yes. Yes. We are moving from there. Where's there? Well, we find in the Old Testament that there, for the Israelites, was Egypt. And where they were moving to here was the promised land. God called Abraham out of Earl, out of barrenness. His wife and him were both barren. And God says, I want you to get out from the place of your family, your kindred, and your nation to a place that I will show you. And God said that in order for you to come into the promise, you must make a move. You must understand that our faith in God is a pilgrimage. How many of you know that we are not to be stationary? We are to be people on the move. In fact, the church is, should not be a monument. So many denominations, so many churches celebrate their uh, religion or they celebrate the denomination and they build a monument and they expect the people to come to the church and to support the denomination. I want you to support us because we have been this way for years. And the church hasn't made any kind of an impact in its community. The people haven't moved an inch. It actually becomes more of a cemetery than any kind of ministry that is on the move. The church is to be on the move. Amen? How many of you moving forward? Amen. I'm not going backwards. Jesus said one day about His own personal ministry, He says, you cannot put 
new wine into old wineskins. And when he used the metaphor of wine, anyone who knows anything about alcohol or wine knows that in wine there are gases. There are certain chemical reactions that cause expansion. And they used to put wine in bottles, usually in goat bellies. They would take the goat belly or a lamb's belly, which was a flexible skin, durable skin. They used to put their wine and they would tie it off. And it was in that wine skin that the wine would expand. And it required a flexible kind of container. And what Jesus was saying, that my ministry and what I'm bringing in my kingdom is going to require from my disciples a flexibility. It's going to require you to be able to expand as the Holy Spirit begins to fall upon you and as my love begins to pour out upon you. It's going to require you to begin to grow and move from there here. It's going to require a kind of flexibility, the kind of growth. And for some of us, and actually for all of us, do you know that we are creatures of habit? We like to find a place and just relax. We're creatures. We, we just Don't give me a church. Don't, don't find me a church where I have I'm challenged. I, just give me a church that just strokes me and say I'm okay where I'm at. That's, that's where a lot of churches are. Just, I want to find a place that, that just says I'm okay. You have many pastors, many people. They will go into churches and they will get lost in the crowd in large churches especially. because not, And I'm not against large churches. I'm just saying people will get into church and they don't want anything to do with anybody. Just leave me alone. I'm here by myself. I don't want anybody to talk to me. I don't want anybody to channel. I don't want anybody to speak. I'm, I'm just going to be the way I am. And don't bother me. That's a sad place. That's not growth. Actually, you're dying. If that's your mindset, you're dying. Because do you know what Jesus said? Jesus made it clear that my sheep hear my voice and follow me. What, where, what are we following? Well, He's leading us into His nature. In other words, Christianity, a lot of people say, well, Christianity is about love. Love, love, love. And today, in our culture, you know what love is? Love is the term that is usually in our culture connected with tolerance. In other words, you should love me the way I am because I am who I am. And you should love me. That's what Hollywood says. Hollywood says that if you love me, you'll just love me the way I am. Tolerate me. Tolerate me. That's not love. That's not love. That's manipulation. And that's, that's, what, that's what Hollywood does. See, true love, when we follow love, when we grow in the knowledge of God's love, the Father's love, do you know that the goal of love is always healthy? The goal of love is to protect what is precious. Amen? Do you know that you will never protect what you do not value? When you begin to understand the Father's love and who He is and how precious He is and the gift that He's given to you, when He spoke to the woman, uh, uh, the Samaritan woman, He said this, if you only knew the gift, and who it is who is asking you to give me living water, if you would have only asked, he would have given you uh, living water and you would never thirst again. But see, the Samaritan woman was blinded to the knowledge of Jesus, who he was and what he had to offer. And you know why she was blinded? Because sin blinds us. And so we go through our life and we live our life on the basis of our own ways and our own thinking. And we actually become more of a survivor. We become people uh, where we're just living on the basis of our emotions and our feelings. And we never truly find love. 
Now, when you really find love, when people really come to understand the love of God and what love is, what love is, love, let me say this really carefully, but love does actually discriminate. Amen. How many here have a home? Have a home? You have a relationship. How many of you know for your relationship to survive, you have to protect that relationship? Amen. How many of you believe you need to protect your relationship? See, I love my wife so much that I want to protect it from anything from, that would come between us. I don't want any secrets between me and my wife. I do not allow certain attitudes or behavior to come between us because I know if I become selfish and self-centered, that's going to destroy this right here. So see, love discriminate. Love is discerning. The, the world says that love is blind. That's a lie. Love is not blind. Let me tell you what is blind. Lust is blind. Lust will blind you. Love has its eyes wide open. Love doesn't come into something uh, uh, just kind of faking it or just moving. Love understands fully what they're getting into. Love wants everything in the light. Love wants everything in the open. How many of you believe that we need to bring all things to light? The Bible says that a man who walks in darkness loves the shadows. But when we love the light, we want our deeds to be exposed. Now, light, for someone who doesn't know the love of God, is they're full of fear. Because they think the Father is going to shame them, hurt them, or reject them. But the, the light that Jesus brings does not shame or expose or torment. The love of God, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. So when we come to know the love of the Father, and when we begin to make these transitions from fear to love, from, from powerlessness to powerfulness, when we, when we come out of darkness into the light, and our minds become renewed, we become healthy all of a sudden we start seeing healthy fruit in our relationship. Here, honey, could you come up here? To the, I, I just want to let everybody know. Here, come up on this one step. I've been married to the same woman for over 35 years. Now, it has not always been easy. Carol and I have had many arguments. Many that we still do. We still disagree. We still don't always agree on everything. She has certain things she likes, and I have certain things that I like. But you know what? Our love and our unity is not based on the fact that she has to see it my way or I have to see it her way. See, true love says, without hurting each other, true love says I can accept the differences that she has as long as it doesn't violate God's moral law or violate anything in our relationship but I can accept her and I can accept her differences without being threatened. That's love. Love promotes freedom. It promotes the freedom within relationships where I say, I can love you even though you like strawberry shakes, I like chocolate shakes. You know, you might like leather furniture. Well, I like cloth. For, I, I can accept these differences. Now, if she said, I like to lie to you, and I'm going to lie, and I'm going to steal money out of our account and spend it secretly, she is not protecting our love. In fact, it would show that she doesn't value our love. And if she would say to me, I lie because I have the right to, I'm an American. I can lie what I want, and you don't have the right to change me. What that says right there is that she, even though we could be married, that means that she is really emotionally divorced from me. Do you know that there's people in America today that are married but actually emotionally divorced? You can be emotionally divorced. How do you get emotionally divorced? Well, I don't have to answer to them. I don't have to talk to them. I don't have to do anything with them. I am my own person. See, that is very narcissistic. It's selfish, self-centered, and it destroys love. But if she loves me and I love her, 
we have an ongoing open communication. There's no secrets. We value our covenant because Jesus communicates that way with us. There's no secrets between us and the Father. Amen? And so in marriages, there's no independent attitudes. There's no, I'll do what I want when I want to and I don't have to be accountable to you with anything. No, that is of the devil and it's selfish, it's divisive, and it will destroy your relationship. Good preaching, Pastor Wright. But, but see, we have, we have a world today that has misdefined the concept of love. Thank you, honey. Misdefined love. Misdefined values. And today we call evil good and good evil. And we've got a lot of weird and wrong thinking in families and in cultures. And even this week I had to deal with a family. That there's, there's a, a regression. There's, there's things happening where there's no joy, there's divisiveness, there's, there's, there's things falling apart. And I just looked at this family. I said, you guys need to get saved. Amen. How many of you know that in a Christian home there should be love? How many believe that there should be righteousness? In a Christian home, we Christians should not be viewing violence in movies or video games. Christians, now it's not a matter of legalism. Thou shalt not watch a bad video. No, it's an issue that I want to protect. Because. I want to protect my relationship. I want to protect the blessing of God. Because my body, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in me and He's holy. And I never want to grieve the Holy Spirit. He's precious. He's holy. And I don't want to conduct, I don't want to live in a conduct of life or open up doors or think things. Or uh, Ray Galligan will not go into certain places because I know it will defile, it will, it will, it will hurt my relationship with the Lord. It's not because I'm so righteous. It's not because I'm better than they are. That's not the issue. The issue is this, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And He's washed me. He's cleansed me. He speaks to me. There's an intimacy. He's restored a sense of identity and beauty. He's made me a, he's made me a vase of His grace and His glory. And it's, it's kind of like this beautiful vase. This vase was created for beauty and created for these flowers. And God intended, He says in, in Ephesians 2, that we are His workmanship. We are created in His image and our bodies and our minds were intended to be filled with things that are... I don't put drugs in my body. I don't put pornography in my mind. I don't have to run around and feed on dirty jokes and feed on Hollywood movies. I won't even support... My wife and I, by the way, I'm just telling you, we don't support Hollywood. We don't go to movies anymore. Now, that does, if you go, praise God, I hope you can see decent ones. But you know what? I don't want to support an industry that is spending billions to stop what the gospel is trying to say. I don't want to support that industry anymore. I'm not trying to put judgment on you. Some of you may even take it. No, no. I don't want to support an industry that is anti-Christ. It's anti-Christ. And how many of you know the Bible says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world? And he says, if you're in Christ, you have come out of the world. And the reason I'm coming out, that doesn't mean that we're going to be like monks in a monastery. No, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And we're to let our light shine. And we're to bring the hope of the gospel. And let people know that I don't have to live and walk around like a living garbage can. How many of you know your brain and your heart is not for the purpose of garbage? Your brain and your body and your person was created in the likeness of Almighty God and God intended to put His glory inside of you. And you have answers for this generation. God intended for you to be a history maker, to change history. God intended for you to bring life to those who sit in darkness. We don't come and 
be condescending or condemning for those who are still walking in the entrapment of sin, but we come to extend grace and say, you know what? You don't have to live and put garbage in your vessel. Jesus has come through His precious blood to transform you and transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His light and to be filled with his, the knowledge of His love so you can become the temple of the Lord where we glorify God in our bodies. Amen. In order for that to happen, in order for His love, in order for that glory to fill us, we have to recognize what He has done is so precious. Jesus' death on the cross was a costly price. He died that we might live. He didn't just die to forgive your sins. No, He died to save you from sin. He died so you could go and sin no more. Amen. He died to deliver you from the curse of being an orphan so you could come into becoming part of the family and becoming a son and a daughter. You know, one thing in the body of Christ today, a lot of people when they come to church, they come and they recognize the building of the people and they, they come and they, they acknowledge me as a reverend or a pastor. And most people recognize the technical aspect. Well, you're, you're, it, I've had people come up to me and say, well, well, Pastor Ray, it kind of looks like you're the big man around here. You're the, you're the kind of the boss man, aren't you? The boss man. I said, no, I'm not the boss man. You're not the boss around here? No, Pastor Ray's not the boss. He's the boss. Well, I, I kind of thought, you know, you, you're, you're the big, big wheel, aren't you, here in the church? You're the pastors of the big, big, gu- big guys with the big guns, and, you know, you're the, you're the big power people, aren't you? No. I'm not the big power man. Well, you guys kind of, you know, stand up there and just kind of do a lot of yakking and talking and you look like you're the big guys in charge of everything. I mean, that, that's the way Joe Sixpack thinks. They think that we're just kind of in here, just kind of, you know, Mr. Big Wheel. Now, more than pastoring, my first call is to be a spiritual father in a, in a family. My first calling is to be a father to sons and daughters. Not a CEO, not a CFO, not a manager of Walmart. We're not here managing the store. I'm called to first be a father in the house. And I'm not the only father. We have David, we have John, we have other men and women. My first, and what does a father do? Father loves his kids. He loves his people. You know what a father does? He imparts a sense of belonging. When I come up to people, I want you to feel a sense of belonging. You may feel, well, I don't belong in this house. Well, if you don't have a church home, we want you to feel, and we want you to know that if the Lord wants you here, we want you to feel a sense of belonging. We don't want you to feel like you're an outsider doesn't matter where you come from doesn't matter what sin you're involved with do you know that all of god's creatures are important the bible says that his house is to be a house for all nations a prayer and and we're i am first a father and a father sees the best in people he's not sizing you up and looking at you and classifying you so so many people because in our society and culture We're so status conscious. So we come into a church or come into the kingdom. Well, I'm the low man on the pole. People don't know where I I come out of some real bad sin, man. I've been abused. I've been drugged. I've been this. I've I've done some really bad. I stole. I got a felony record. I did that. That's not what the... Do you know the blood of Jesus washes all that away? It washes it all away. And not only that, it converts you into a son. And so when I come up to a lot of our people in the church, I come up to people and I say, you're my son in the Lord. You're my daughter in the Lord. I embrace you as one of my own because I want you to know you're part of a family. Now, can you imagine? Here, uh, Elijah, come up here for me. Can you imagine? Now, 
you know, this is an awesome young man, and he belongs to a father who's an awesome dad. His name is? Harold. Harold Eichel. Now, can you imagine what would happen if little Elijah came up to dad someday <clears throat> and said, Harold, he wouldn't say Harold, he'd say dad. Dad, um, I, don't want to be your, I don't want to be your son anymore. I want David Bulward to be your, I want David to be my do dad. Come every day. Okay. These guys aren't ready. Here, here's a, here's a, a new dad on the block. Okay. Here's a new dad. Uh, Dave did not birth this young man. He did not birth him. Harold birthed him. Harold raised him. I know all of you think, oh, Pastor Ray, this is so ludicrous. I can't even believe you're using it. But this is what's happened in the body of Christ all the time. Sons that are born in the house, all of a sudden we say, I don't like my dad. I want another dad. And so we try to make things happen. And there's an awkwardness. And the reason why this son left his last father is because maybe his father was training or teaching him. And he got upset and he left, so he joined another father. Now we think, oh, how ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But it happens all the time in America, in local churches. You see, we somehow thought that the church was just a membership club. No, it's a family of covenant believers that God intended for us to be related to. Thank you. These are, give them a hand, my great actors here. Now, I understand there's times where fathers can pass away. Churches can fold. Leaders can fall into sin. And maybe there was no restoration. And there's a, lot of, in the, there's a lot of what I call spiritual orphans. They have no place called home. They don't know that they can find protection, love, care, real faith, vision, and belonging in a family. Today, our society, in America, in America, we have some of the biggest churches, the best churches, the most expensive churches. We've got amazing programs. Our churches are just going gooey out the ears with programs and programs. And we get into, I want to get into the program. That's not what the church is about. It's about family. It's about relationships. And what God wants to do is move us from there, from isolation, from being independent, being an outsider, to really finding a place in the family. You hear what I'm saying this morning? I want you to see something in Matthew 8. This is about a leper. Matthew chapter 8 says that when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Everyone say that with me. I am willing. Say it again. I am willing. He said, I'm willing to cleanse you. I'm willing to wash you. I'm willing to receive you. And it says that as he did that, the Bible says immediately. Everyone say immediately. Say it one more time, immediately. God, by his spirit today, is going to do something immediately. Everyone say immediately. I want you to get this in your spirit because the Holy Spirit is saying something. I'm going to do a quick work in your life. And when I do that quick work, you're going to be cleansed. You're going to be healed from your leprosy. Now, I know in America we don't identify with leprosy. Leprosy is a viral bacteria that consumes and eats your body alive. It is a slow death. 
A man who had leprosy. In fact, in Asia, I've actually been in a leper colony myself in Asia. I was over there in, in uh, Thailand. They actually have leper camps. Leprosy is still alive and well, but not in America. But leprosy is a, in fact, in the Old Testament, in fact, I want you to jump with me to Numbers 5. Listen, listen to what God said about leprosy in, Deut- in Numbers chapter 5. Numbers 5, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse, you should put out both male and female, you should put them outside the camp. Are you getting the word? Outside. Put them out. That they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell, and the children of Israel did so, and put them outside of the camp. And the Lord spoke to Moses, so the children of Israel did this. You had a death sentence on you when you had leprosy. There is no leprosy in America. This week as I was praying about this message, the Lord laid this. He says, Ray, leprosy is really alive and well in America. It's alive and well in the minds of people. Leprosy isn't just something physical. There's a spiritual correlation. When, you, when we talk about leprosy, because leprosy was something that isolated you, it separated you from the blessing as well as from the relationship of God's people. They couldn't fellowship. In the Old Testament, lepers, actually people, family members of those who had lepers and family relatives, they would actually perform a funeral. When you contracted leprosy, they looked at you and viewed you as dead already. You're already dead. And so they knew they couldn't be around them. They couldn't talk to them. The leper had no hope. They had to be away from populated areas. They couldn't be. Many times lepers would go outside of the city. They would congregate. And it became a matter of survival. They, they defended themselves. They, they scrummaged around like beggars looking for food. They usually lived in garbage camps where people would throw their garbage because they, they couldn't come into populated areas. And the Bible talks about that. But today, I want to give you, I, I want you to understand, leprosy uh, in, the, in the spirit, of, there's, there's a spirit of leprosy. And God wants to bring the spirit of his righteousness and holiness into our, in a spirit of belonging upon the, the church. But leprosy, the spirit of leprosy, is any individual who has, uh, they live with guilt or they live with condemnation on a constant basis. Remember, less, leprosy was something that was a lifelong. It, it was also a disease that deformed and it, it maimed the individual. Uh, usually it would start with their limbs and come in and it was a slow suffocating kind of a death. But leprosy also has to do with people I believe in the, in the Bible, it, it, it has to do with those who have embraced the stronghold or lies. It has to do with ongoing problems that people never seem to get free from. That's, that's the spirit of leprosy. Leprosy is a spirit of defilement. When you come to accept something like sin or a habit or issues without... Uh, uh, without and. Uh, without being conscious that you're even doing it. Without the consciousness of it being right or wrong. See, the spirit of leprosy is anything that causes an individual to live way below what God intended them to be. When you come to accept a condition in your family, in your life, in your mind, I am just this way and I cannot change. That's the spirit of leprosy. Leprosy says, I am what I am. I can't change. I, 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 I just am what I am. See, leprosy is the curse of death. It's, it's the curse of a person who accepts a lie. And how many of you believe God wants us free? He wants us whole. 
And uh, what, what is so powerful about this is that somehow, some way, this leper made a change. And I would like to suggest that even before Jesus touched him, I believe he experienced a healing in his life. And I want to tell you why. Because the Bible says that when the leper came from the multitude, it says he came and worshipped. Now think about this. This leper came... He didn't say that he came and begged. He didn't come and complain. He didn't come and list all of his entitlements that he should have. And he didn't come. It says that he came and worshipped. Everyone say worship. In other words, in spite of the leprosy, this guy made a decision. I am going to worship. Now, I believe something fueled that guy. I believe he came out of something, came into something. In his mind, he had been blessed, this man had begun to hear certain things about the ministry of Jesus that gave him hope. Let me tell you what worship is. Worship is a decision that is made when people enter into spiritual warfare. See, when you enter into spiritual warfare, what you are doing is you're saying, I refuse to accept My present condition, my Bible says, and I'm seeing that Jesus says, I can be cleansed, I can be whole, but I just need to know if he's willing. You see, this leper, in his mind, had to overcome certain mental obstacles. How many of you people have ever felt like, well, you know what, I've sinned this week, I've done some things so bad, and I shouldn't go to church because I'm not worthy. That is is leprosy. Leprosy is when a person begins to belittle themselves or belittle others because they're not holier than thou or holy. And so you begin to write yourself off or write other people off because all you're doing is you're looking through the lens of unbelief and fear and negativism. And you are accepting a condition. Well, this is just the way it's going to be. No, this leper entered into warfare and he says, God's promises are this. And if you go into Matthew chapter 4, jump with me to Matthew chapter 4. I want to show you what I believe this man got exposed to. Matthew 4 verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout Syria. Then they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptic, paralytics, and healed them all. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. This guy heard the good news and he made a shift. He came from there to here And he refused to go back. He had to enter into certain type of spiritual warfare where he refused. Everyone say refuse. He refused to accept the condition of where he was at. Even what the law said in the book of Numbers. This guy had to rise above what the law said. Because do you know that it was illegal for him? It was illegal for a leper to be around a populated area? It was illegal. It was illegal for them to come into the temple. So that meant there there was no atonement. There was no hope spiritually for these people. Well, then, Pastor Ray, why did God say that about lepers? God had to give Israel a visible picture of what sin does because Israel of old did not know what sin does. So God used the disease called leprosy To help people understand how sin twists, deforms, it it warps your mind, your thinking. You are not normal. You begin to become consumed with this disease till it eats you up inside out. In Israel, when they would see leprosy, they would say, oh wow, that's what sin does. That's what God was trying to say. He wasn't really trying to write the leper off. But he did want to say that when we have leprosy, leprosy, God says they were not to come to the temple because God God was saying this, when you have sin in your life, it naturally separates you from God. Sin separates. 
Well, how do I know if I'm separated from God? Here's a good test right here. If there's sin in your life right now, if there's issues in your life, can you right now receive God's grace and mercy and allow the blood of Jesus to wash you to the point there is a sense of boldness, faith, and confidence? If you can't do that, then there's a spirit of leprosy on you. If you say things like this, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I, I just, I can't seem to make it. That is a spirit of leprosy. And you are living below what Jesus has already accomplished at the cross. Now for this man to boldly break through the crowds because he was forbid to come to crowded areas, he was forbid to come around anybody, but something in this man's mind gave him the hope that there's a Savior here who has the power to bring cleansing and transformation in my life. So I am going to rise up and I'm going to get a hold of Jesus. I'm going to find Him. And I don't care if people spit at me, if they try to stop me and say, you unclean thing, get out of here. It didn't matter. Because he had heard the word, the gospel, the good news that begin to deflate and destroy the arguments, the strongholds, those thoughts in his mind. And the Bible says when he found Jesus, he fell down and he worshipped. Now let me tell you something about this worship. Worship means that you choose to exalt the promises of God. You choose to lift up the power of what Jesus has done, and I choose to tear down every lie that I used to think. I refuse to accept defeat. I refuse to accept that my marriage is over. I refuse to accept that this habit is going to take them in. I refuse. Jesus says, I am clean. You see, before He found Jesus he had already won the battle right. up here. Yes. Yes. And when he found Jesus, you may say, well, Pastor Ray, how do you know that? Because his confession was this. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Yes. Everyone say, you can. you can. Say it again, you can. Yes. You can make my marriage work. You can Help me stand against this. I can be free. I can make it. See, he won the battle. And you know why? Because he worshipped. You know what happens when you come to New Life Fellowship on a Sunday morning? You have a choice. You can choose to sit there and let the devil sit on your shoulder. You don't have the right to worship. You backslid. You yelled at your wife this week. Oh, and they let you know that you are a subnormal, half-baked, backslidden. You don't have the right to be in God's presence. If they only knew about you, oh, they would lay you up and crucify you. There are people that think that way. Don't all shout me out down here. But you know what? My Bible says, and I believe, that this leper began to remember the passage in Isaiah where the Spirit of the Lord was upon a coming Messiah. And when He comes, He was anointed to preach the good news and to open prison doors and to bring liberty to them that are bruised and to open blind eyes and to set the captive free. And then they made this little phrase called to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which was the year of Jubilee, which meant that every seven years under the Jewish calendar, every seven years if you were in debt, if you were enslaved, if you were in bondage to anything, the year of Jubilee declared you free. And Jesus embodied the very message and the very principle of the year of Jubilee. So when He came and He saw lepers... This man, when he heard the gospel, he began to hear some things about Jesus. He began to say, wow, Jesus sits down and he puts his arms 
around publicans, prostitutes. He hugs sinners. He's not like the temple priests and the Pharisees. The temple priests, they just took your money and they just yelled at you and they said, get out of here, you dogs. You gave your offering. Now go another year and see if you can make it another year. That's the way the temple priests would talk to the people. But here when Jesus came, he was a friend of sinners. He sat down and he listened. Here's a, here's a shepherd who actually listens to me. He really listened to me. He embraced women. He restored the dignity to women, even prostitutes. He stood on the side of a prostitute who was caught, or not a prostitute, an adulteress, so caught in the act of adultery. And he says, he who's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Then he comes to the woman and says, I don't condemn you either. But go and sin no more. Here's a, here's a Savior that had a way of connecting with people. He gave hope to everyone. He opened the blind eyes. He was different. This Messiah was different. He gave us hope. He began to talk about not God as a judge, but God the Father. That he had many sons and daughters. And that God has come to no longer call you servants, but you're my friends. You're my friends. I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend. Your friend. You're not just, you're part of a family. I love you. I, Jesus honored sinners. He didn't honor the sin, but He honored sinners. And He would come, He said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus today, I'm going to come to your house, Zacchaeus. I can't wait to get to your house. And the Bible says, and the multitude look at Jesus going to, look at that. The Messiah's going and He's going to eat. He's going into the house of a Gentile dog. Because that's what the Jews call Gentiles. They're dogs. See, there was such a narcissistic, inflated pride among the Jews that they saw other races as being much minor. They, they called them dogs, but we, the Jews, we are better than everyone else. And here Jesus comes along and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, you little short guy, you. You come on down. I'm coming to your house. I want to go, and I want to have lunch with you today. And everybody said, Can you believe this? Jesus is going to this house. The guy's a known thief. He's a robber. He's a liar. He rips the Jewish people. And he's going to have coffee with this Starbucks with this guy. I can't believe it. And everybody sits there. Oh, man. Oh, Jesus doesn't know what he's doing. And then, you see, the leper heard so much news about this Jesus. He says, you know what? There's hope for me. If you can sit with a prostitute, if you can have lunch with a tax collector, if you can forgive an adulterer, you can stand with her. If you can give restoration to a woman whose son died, the woman of Nain, you can give hope to me. And he entered. The Bible says, I love what it says. Jesus says, I'm willing. But then there's a Greek word here, and I want you to understand. It says that Jesus reached out and touched him. The Greek word does not mean this. He's got leprosy, so I've got to try to find a clean place. The Greek word means to grasp. He grasped this leper. And he just got leprosy all over him. He just grasped this leper. And can you imagine the power of touch, the power of a hug, the power of the Father reaching through His Son Jesus. This was the Father, the Father reaching through His Son Jesus and saying, son, you're no longer an outcast. You're a son. Embraced him. 
I want you to read something. This is what Hebrews, jump with me, Hebrews 1. Almost done. Hebrews 1 says this. Chapter 1, verse 3, verse 2. In these last days spoken to us by the Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds who being in the brightness of His glory and the expressed image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Jump over with me to chapter 2. Chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. I don't hear a whole lot of pages. I hope we're following in the Bible. Notice what it says. Verse 6, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. Notice what it says here in verse 7. You have crowned him with glory and honor. That's you. He's come to crown you with glory and honor. And set him over the work of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And it says, verse 9, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace might taste death for everyone. Verse 11, For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. Everyone said, I'm one. Notice what it says. He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one for he for which reason he is not ashamed to be called to call them brethren. Verse 14, chapter 2. Insomuch then as the children have been partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil and to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That's where mankind is today. All their lifetime subject to bondage and in fear of it. For indeed, he does not come to give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be he made... He had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. Can you say amen? Let me just give you things in the lesson of this message that I think I want you to take away today that I think is critical. I just want to say this, that there is no sin or no issue that you're facing that God's grace is not strong enough to pull you through and give you strength to come through this. The most important thing we need to realize is that Jesus' blood, there's authority in the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. Amen? The one thing that the Bible says is we need to simply make a a declaration and a confession of faith. We need to confess our faith in what he has done. Amen? Amen. The Bible says to confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive and to wash us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you thankful for that? The second thing here is the leper worshipped. We've got to learn how to worship in spirit and in truth. You know what worship is? Worship, I know, is, is, is not just what you do, but it is who you are. But worship does involve a choice in my heart where I choose to exalt God's Word and His promises over the conditions that I am facing right now. I choose to believe God. Worship chooses to lift what His Word says And my Bible says that we have received the ministry of reconciliation where He has not imputed to us our sins, but He who knew no sin became sin that we might be called the righteousness of God in Christ. When we begin to worship the Lord, we move into a shift. He empowers our life with His promises. 
The third thing is we need to visualize. Everyone say visualize. I need to visualize my place as a son and visualize the fact that he has already cleansed and healed me. Listen, folks, let's stop living by how we feel. Let's live by what he says. We need to visualize ourselves. And then lastly, we need to live intentionally. To live intentionally means this. I choose to live as God's word says. I choose to be a man of God. I choose to accept that I am righteous, I am holy, because he said it. God told Abraham, you are a father. Well, I don't see a lot of fruit around this, Lord. The Bible says he called those things that were not as though they are. You see, living intentionally means that I choose to believe, number one, I choose to believe I'm an overcomer. Number two, I choose to make choices. I'm going to make choices that are going to honor God and glorify God in my mind and in my body. I will not allow the contamination or the defilement of past sins or even relationships. By the way, I want to say this in the name of the Lord. Some of you need to separate yourself from people who are pulling you down. You need to separate yourself from people that are keeping you from God's best in your life. You need to run with winners. You need to understand you're, you're more than a conqueror. You need to start. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, that sounds like you're telling me that we're supposed to discriminate. We're not hanging around. No, no. I'm not saying that you cannot become a... You, we're all to be friends with sinners. We're to bring the love of God. But I'm talking about you opening your fellowship to people and embracing their lifestyle and conduct. The Bible says to come out of the world and be separated from them. But at the same time, he says you're to be a light in the world. What that means is this. Do you know that when I'm around people that don't know Jesus, you know what I do? I take the lead. I do not let sinners or ungodly people control the environment. I do. Pastor Ray, boy, that's pretty arrogant. No, it's not arrogant. I just don't let their sin, their behavior, their jokes, or their decisions. I'll say, you know what, we can do something better than that. Now, you know what, those people? I heard Smith Wigglesworth one time said this. It's so funny in this book. He says he was traveling from England to Australia one time, and he says, I've always wanted to sit in the first-class section of the, of the boat, and he says, one, one of the best ways to clear a seat off is just start sharing people about Jesus. He started sharing people about Jesus, they all wanted to leave him. But he said, there were some people that hung around there. I'm not saying you're, you're to be repulsive, but I want you to understand that being a man of God means you take the lead. We need fathers to take the lead in their home and stop allowing rebellion, stop allowing the home to go into chaos. We need to become leaders in our home. That's not arrogance. That's the high calling of God in Christ. I am called to lead. I am called to make a difference. I am powerful. I have an anointing. I can make a difference. His righteousness. I am not a loser. I am not weak. I am not held by the captivity of sin. It's, I, I can do all things through Christ. You have to renew your mind. You have to move from there to here. Now, everyone stand up with me, would you? Everyone stand up. Now, look at your partner again. Now, let's shift seats one more time. Shift seats one more time, would you? Go ahead. I know. Some of you can't shift. So that's okay. Well, well, do the best you can. Don't crawl if you have to. Here's the point. Jesus, Jesus has lifted us up. The Bible says He has made you sit with Him in heavenly places. I am no longer in a valley. I am no longer in a place of defeat. He has raised me up. And see, see, that leper had a vision. He visualized what Jesus had come to do. And that was to make his life brand new. I want everyone to bow your heads. You may say, Pastor Ray, I have been living way below what God wants me to be. And this morning, I want to make that change. 
I believe there is so much more. I believe I can be free. I believe His Word. You've convinced me today that there is more, and I no longer want to accept the status quo. I want to come up and be and walk in the victory and the liberty that my Lord has given to me, and I accept that in Jesus' name. I believe He wants to anoint me afresh today, anoint my mind. I bring into captivity every thought, every stronghold that I've accepted. I bring, I come against those things, and I'm asking the Lord right now to renew my mind and renew my vision. I need this. I know the Word of God says that all things work together for good to them that love God or called according to His purpose. And Jesus was raised. And the Bible says, In Him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All in all. That means if we're in Him, the fullness of Jesus is also in us. If you this morning, you may say, Pastor Ray, I want to seal this with prayer. I want to embrace this fresh anointing. I've moved from there, and I'm moving to here. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. If that's you this morning. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. I want to embrace this fresh anointing, this fresh understanding that I am no longer a victim of my past. I'm a mighty man and mighty woman of God. I have a future. I have a hope. I have a tremendous, there's an outcome that is glorious for me. Because I have a Savior who's paved the way for me. He does not come to condemn. He does not come to remind you of your sin. The Bible says He's taking your sins as He's throwing it in the past. Amen. Amen. I just have a word for you. There's such grace. He comes to let you know today that everything is brand new. Everything he wants you to know that He's the God of a fresh start. And He comes today to remove all. There's been so much fear on you. I don't know who you are, but the Lord wants to just remove the fear, the spirit of fear. He wants you to know that you're beloved and you're a delight to Him. You have thought some very negative thoughts and the Lord wants to remove that. Your daughter of the king. He really embraces you. You know what? You didn't come here by accident. The Lord brought you here today to let you know three things. I delight in you. He delights in you. You know, this is a young lady. The Lord's, the Lord's taken some shackles. And God's letting him know, letting her know today that she's a daughter of Zion. And he loves you. But he wants you to do something. Say, let go. I'm going to let go of the past. Let go of the guilt. Let go of the fear. I want you to receive his love. Just receive his love. Amen. Father, we just thank you for this woman. It's a new day. It's a new day. He comes to embrace you and he removes the curse of leprosy thinking. And he comes to wrap you and clothe you with his righteousness. Today, you're a woman of God. You're a woman of righteousness. You're a woman who has been clothed with the grace of salvation, the garments of praise. The Spirit, He's given you the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He's given you beauty for ashes. Today. Amen. <laughs> you know what? God's going to give you a reason to laugh. You haven't been happy. There's been no joy in that. Today, He's going to give you a reason to be happy. And He's saying this. It's all right. It's all right. But He wants you to believe it. Don't try to analyze it. You know our problem is we try to analyze God's grace. Can't analyze it. God is just saying to this woman, this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I'm, I'm up here praying. The Lord says, tell this young lady I delight in her. 
she's special to me. And I come to take the filthy garments and he comes to clothe you with garments of beauty and righteousness and holiness. I want you to say this. I am covered. I belong to him. I am forgetting those things which are behind and I'm reaching and visualizing a new future. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Is God good or what? Amen. Now, who else raise their hand? Who else? I, I want you to come down front. Amen. Come on down front. I want to pray with you. I believe this is a new day. Some of you, there's somebody else out there too. You want, you want to experience a fresh anointing. It's a new day. And you know it. This, God is doing something by His Spirit right now. Amen. Amen. I want everyone to extend your hand. I want you to start praying right now. Amen. Father, we thank you. Amen. God's hand is on the Amen. Amen.